going to say that gentleness is not weakness. I don't think we can state that strongly enough. Uh, I, I think we know it, but we just don't uh, think about it very much. And so I want to give us some examples to show that gentleness is not weakness. So, for example, imagine a manager at a Cost Plus Warehouse, and she's watching a forklift lift a pallet, 2,000 pounds worth of glasses and plates and dishes, and it's headed for a uh, delivery truck. And she instinctively says, as it gets to the truck, gently, gently. Why does she say that? Does she say it because she thinks the forklift is weak? No, she says, she says because she knows it's strong. It's strong enough to ram that stuff right into that truck if it's not careful and, you know, destroy everything. So gentleness is not weakness. Uh, another example, uh, one, a really great service is um, when a person takes a service dog to a uh, retirement home and everybody gets a chance to pet it. Everybody likes, almost everybody likes to pet dogs. I want you to imagine uh, a, a, a little man, he's in a wheelchair, uh, his eyes are closed, he's resting and uh, the service dog and the, its owner comes up uh, to him and uh, the man doesn't move, but the dog uh, kind of nuzzles its head to get up and under his hand and, and so his hand is there on the dog's head and he opens his eyes and he smiles and he kind of does this to the dog and, and then after a little bit the dog moves away and his hand just rests there. None of us would say about that man, oh, he's being gentle. What would we say? We'd say that about the dog. The dog is being gentle. Why? Because its power is under control. In fact, the manager of a retirement home would insist that any dogs coming are gentle. And what, is, what does that manager mean? It means we know that that dog's power is under control. When it comes to forklifts and uh, dogs, we, we want to say their power is held back under control. Let me show you a video of Gentle. There you go. Perfect response. Exactly. Oh, and laugh and Right, we love that, and that's a that's a lion of all that strength with the little cub, and his power is under control. That video has been watched a million and a half times. Why? Because we love to see gentleness. Uh, we we love to see how restrained and controlled that lion is with his cub, and that kind of gentleness resonates with our hearts. And before we go any further, I want to remind us why we're talking about gentleness. Gentleness is a character trait of Jesus. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit that we've been studying. And uh, we've been looking at Galatians 5. So let me read that to us again. Galatians 5. Uh, and of course, this is from the message, so it's a little different. Uh, but we know that we're talking about love, joy, peace, patience, all, all nine of those fruits. It says this, but what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like 
love, affection for others, joy, exuberance about life, peace, serenity. We develop patience, a willingness to stick with things, kindness, a sense of compassion in the heart, and goodness, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in faithfulness or loyal commitments and gentleness, not needing to force our way in life, self-control, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power under control. Uh, And as I say, so for forklifts and dogs and lions, power under control, they hold back their power. That works for us. But when we're talking about human beings, I think we could say it just a little bit differently. Gentleness is strength under control. Gentleness is strength under control. I think this may be the fruit of the Spirit we need most and the world needs most from us because power and money are the currency of our society. And face it, it's been the currency of, our, of every society. Power and money. But the truth about money is, why do we want money? Because it gives us power. Power is the currency that we use, that society uses. And power is neutral. It can be used for good or for bad. We love to see power used well, to see power brought to bear uh, on the bully, but we don't like to see the bully use their power against others. Gentleness stirs our hearts because it's powerful people controlling their strength, not hurting others with it. The more powerful we are, the more gentle we need to be. My wife is a preschool teacher. And you know it. I mean, you know, preschool teachers, they're sweet, loving. But to a preschooler, they look huge. They're, you know, they're preschool teachers. And um, so she has children sit in a circle. Uh, and one little boy, we'll, na- we'll call him Charlie, he doesn't do well with being corrected. Which, who does, right? But uh, Charlie in particular does not do well with being corrected. And so uh, imagine Charlie and the rest are sitting in their seats and Charlie bounds up out of his seat to go somewhere or do something and Carolyn could say, Charlie, sit down, get back in your seat, right? That's what many of us would do. But she's come to understand that kind of direction, uh, it doesn't go over well. It escalates quickly with Charlie. And so instead, she's learned to say, Charlie, did you forget where you're supposed to be right now? And he'd say, oh, that's right. I'm supposed to be sitting down. And, and it, it works. What's she doing? She's being gentle. She has all the power. And so she has to have more gentleness. Gentleness works. Jesus, this is interesting. Jesus said one of the reasons we should follow him is because he's gentle. It says in Matthew eleven twenty nine, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Because I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. And lest we forget that Jesus is powerful, that he has ultimate divine power and authority, we read in Matthew 26, don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels 
to protect us. And he would send them instantly. Matthew summarizes the ministry of Jesus. He quotes Isaiah who was talking about what the coming Messiah would be like. And he says this, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice through to victory. This is a description of gentleness. Our gentle Messiah won't find a bruised person and break them further. Or someone who is barely hanging on and squish them. He could, but he won't because he's gentle. Many people follow leaders who demonstrate and use their power. They wield their power even cruelly and destructively or hurtfully. But Christians are called to follow a man who was gentle, who controlled his power, who wouldn't uh, break a bruised reed, who wouldn't extinguish a flickering candle. And, and I know that people will point out, well, Jesus, you know, he, he threw the, the money changers out of the temple. Yes, he did. He has strength. He has power. It's very difficult to find a second example of him wielding his power that way. What we find over and over again is Jesus being gentle with many different people in many different situations. Though he could, he had plenty of opportunity with the Pharisees to demonstrate his power, but instead he held it back. He controlled his strength. And he had so much power that he had to be more gentle. And I think we could say that the greater the power differential, the greater the gentleness must be. A bruised reed and a smoldering wick, those, are, those things are as fragile as they can be and still exist. And uh, the weaker something is, the more we must control our strength. That's another reason we love this lion video, because yes, it's about the strength of the lion, but it's also about the weakness of the cub. That distinction is so great that there's so much gentleness that goes on between them. We need to be gentle. We need to be people who are working towards gentleness. I, I think we could all agree that being gentle uh, is a character trait we'd all like to have. The end. Where's Dick? Right? I mean, is that, it? Is that good enough? Ah, excellent motivational speech, Pastor. We should all be gentle. So well, what are we going to do about it? How do we become more gentle? And I want to say, I bet you all of us could immediately think of the need for people to be physically gentle. To, to, we could think of places and people and situations where physically we should be more gentle and others should be more gentle towards us. All of that, perfectly good. I'd like to spend time, though, thinking about verbal gentleness because most of us, all of us, experience uh, verbal gentleness and ungentleness. There, there is harsh language out there. Um, there is attacking language, dismissive and harsh words, demeaning tones of voice that all of us experience and occasionally use. And... Verbal gentleness and ungentleness both impact our lives. 
and, and, they, and they do with those harsh words more and more, social media, everything, we cannot get away from it. So let me ask you a question. Just think about this for, for a moment. Who in your life is most impacted by your words? We could probably list them. We could write them down in our bullet and we could name them off. There's probably a, a handful of names, but they are probably family and uh, friends and loved ones, people we work with, and people we go to church with. We impact people with our words. And for the sake of clarity and sake of time, I want to focus, I want to drill down on one form of verbal communication, verbal gentleness. It's, I want to do this because many people, including Christians, have a habit that is destructive and rampant, but often seen as just, just joking, just joking. Uh, and so people use it not uh, to control their power, but to wield their power, and it hurts other people. So we're going to focus our attention on it today. So we must eliminate sarcasm because we are never only kidding. We must eliminate sarcasm because we are never only kidding. The, the, um, one of the biggest lies ever told can be told in four words. I was just kidding. You can do it in two. Just kidding. But you're not. You're lying. And in fact, if I, I will say, there are people who can use sarcasm uh, as a form of, of uh, humor, and maybe it isn't biting. Maybe it isn't hurtful. I would just encourage you, find a new form of humor because sarcasm can hurt. One of the, the, the Greek word for uh, for sarcasm actually means tearing flesh. We don't want to do that. Let's not do that. Um, it is a power tool, this thing called sarcasm. It comes in infinite varieties, but we can, we can summarize it in two words. Yeah, right. Yeah? Do you know what yeah, right means? It means no wrong. Sarcasm uses the opposite of what we mean in a way that mocks others and in a way that shows contempt for them. Uh, mocks and conveys contempt. You look great. I love this place. Nice hat. You can hear the opposite in those words and the sense of mockery and contempt, right? It, sarcasm uses the exact, uh, uses words when we mean the exact opposite. Um, so that makes sarcasm the opposite of gentle. If we are seeking to be Christ-like, to develop gentleness, we need to let go of sarcasm. Each of those examples I just gave engages someone who is vulnerable and um, weak. They just got a new hat. They have a wonderful place, right? Um, and, and in that moment of weakness where they hope we like what they have, we are able to hurt them with our sarcasm. Uh, it's very real. So I was in middle school. I know this will come as a surprise to you, but I was very tall in middle school. And, um, and, and I was fast. And my, my gym coach uh, he said, you ought to go to the local track meet. 
So I did, um, but it was the first meet I'd ever been to. I didn't know anything about. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Uh, I didn't know how fast was fast. Uh, but I went, my brother took me, and he, um, he went and sat in the stands. And uh, I got to the starting line, and there were other boys who were starting to warm up, and uh, they were talking, and one of them said to me, how fast do you run this race? And I told him, and he said, oh, that's fast, sarcastically. And immediately, I felt out of my depth. I felt like, what am I doing here? What, what, was, what was my coach thinking? What was I thinking? I was in that vulnerable moment, and wow, he really psyched me out. Right? That's what the, we, the term we used. When the gun went off, I sat down next to my brother in the stands. I chickened out. I, I ran away. I didn't even run the race uh, because of those words said to me in middle school, and I still remember it today. Sarcasm hurts. It's a tenacious habit. Sarcasm rolls off our tongues the way hot butter rolls off of waffles. So smoothly, but painfully. Uh, and in fact, it's reinforced when we are sarcastic because everybody laughs. Except the person who's the butt of the joke. As people seeking to become more like Jesus, I think this is something we need to work on for ourselves, for our families, for people we care about, for our church. Uh, this was important enough that in the early church, James wrote in, the, in his text in the scripture, if you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is what? Worthless. Wow, that's strong. So how do we begin to catch ourselves and move from sarcasm to gentleness? whether our biggest concern is sarcasm or something else. I want to say, listen, I know some of you are not sarcastic. Excellent. You're not off the hook. There are, there are eight other character traits we've been talking about. There are other things you could work on, maybe other verbal uh, things that you do that you'd say, you know what, I should probably work on that. So, but I'm talking about sarcasm. You could use others if that's not yours. But... Uh, are we ready to say, you know what, I've got something. How do I start? How do I, how do I move from wherever I am to being more gentle? Well, coincidentally, that's what I'm going to talk about for the rest of the sermon. So thanks for asking. Let's talk about this. Training in righteousness. And there are four stages of competence when it comes to righteousness. Actually, there are four stages of competence when it comes to learning anything. But we're going to focus on righteousness. And I love that Scripture says we can be trained in righteousness. 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for training in righteousness. Jesus does not expect us to develop these character traits, these fruits of the Spirit, by osmosis. We can't just pray for it and have it and be different. Uh, we have to work at it. But luckily, gratefully, it is a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit is going to help us. And, and we always need to begin with prayer and ask God, say, Lord, I would love to learn to be more gentle. Would you help me? And let me use a case study. Uh, and, and this is a case study. We already talked about hats. So I'm going to use a case study about hats. Um, so that introduces us to these four steps. 
So I want you to imagine that a person walks into the room with a hat that we find odd or silly or unattractive. We'll go with these. Right? Uh, those are real. And, uh, you know, uh, laughter is appropriate in this setting. We put those up for, for laughter's sake. But for our case study, I want you to imagine this person walks into a room where you are and they love their hat. They don't, they don't think it's silly at all. And they say, what do you think? That's our situation. Are we going to be sarcastic or are we going to be gentle? And there are stages that we go through when we're trying to move from being sarcastic to being gentle. I just want you to imagine that this is one of the strangest hats you've ever seen. So what do we do? As I said, before we do anything else, let's pray. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, would you be with me? We begin with prayer and we continue to pray throughout. But we also begin by understanding that we could really hurt this person. We could wound their pride. We could shame and embarrass them in public. But we don't want to. We want to be gentle. Um, so what do we do to become non-sarcastic people? Uh, and what I want to say is that no matter what we want to learn to do, we, we go through these four stages. So stage number one, is it's called unconsciously incompetent. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Unconsciously incompetent. That means, in layman's terms, we don't know what we're doing, and we don't know that we don't know what we're doing. We're bad at something, and we don't know it. I'll give you, how about ice skating? I, I didn't know I was bad at ice skating until I tried it. I was bad at ice skating all my life, and I didn't know it. Um, I was unconsciously incompetent when it came to uh, ice skating. But when it comes to sarcasm, I was also unconsciously incompetent. What that uh, meant was, in this case, uh, when it comes to being gentle, I was unconsciously incompetent because I was extremely competent at sarcasm. I had developed it. Here, here, here is my form of, of it. I would, I would just go, that's it. That's not that bad, right? Uh, but I, if you'll notice, I do it exactly the same way every time. And there's the mouth noise and the eye roll. I have perfected that. But if you ever catch me doing it, eh, it won't be that bad because you've, got, you've done it once. Who do you think notices it immediately? My family, especially my wife, right? Husbands, do you have anyone, anything that you know? Oh, yeah, she'll notice it because we've, we've directed it at them. And it is, it's hard for them. It's hurtful for them. Uh, but I was, they had to point it out because I was unaware of it. It's just so natural to me, right? Uh, that, uh, but uh, so here's how it works in our case study with the hat. Uh, imagine somebody walks in with a hat and we think it looks strange and we say to the person alongside us, would you look at that? We, didn't even, we don't even come with the person says, oh, I know, uh, you, right? We don't, even, we don't even notice that we're saying that. That, by the way is sarcasm. And, but I wouldn't say that. I'd go, <laughs> and, and it just, you know, so, and a lot of people wouldn't notice it. Who would? 
person wearing the hat. They'd get it. Uh, but but I, why do I know that about myself? Why can I tell you about that? Because I have moved to stage two, which is consciously incompetent. Now, this is actually, you can imagine, more unpleasant than stage one. Because stage one, I'm incompetent, but I didn't know it. Everybody else did, but I didn't. I was, I was pleasantly unaware of myself. But now I've come to stage two where I am fully aware of it. I am consciously, but I'm still bad. So I'm con consciously incompetent. And what this looks like is that um, I've wanted to change. And so I try, to, I try not to be sarcastic. But the, they walk in with that hat, and I'm like, oh, shoot. That's, that's consciously, oh, I'm, I'm bad at this, and I know it, right? Uh, wow, would you look at that? Oh, shoot, I could kick myself. I'm trying not to do that. That's consciously incompetent. Uh, but don't worry. Don't give up. You're, that, this is called progress. We're, we're, we're moving along. And uh, for the advanced students in the class, you will probably already guess what stage three is. Consciously competent. We, are, we, we move to the place where we become consciously competent. What this means is, is that if we're trying hard, if we're paying attention, we could do it. Now, imagine, imagine you're, you, you're a, a little league player, and uh, you've, you've, your coach has been telling you a, a lot of things. You know, keep your eye on the ball. You know, swing at just the right time. Uh, whatever the things are. So you're ready to go up to bat. What are you saying in your mind? Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Swing it, you know, keep it in, right? What's he doing? He is, if, if he's thinking about it, if she's thinking about it, she can do it. That's consciously competent. Um, and what that would look like with, with, uh, with the hats and with me, I'd be like, man, that 1030 service, you should see the hats they wear. Whew. They are wild. I don't know where they all get them, but I'm going to go there, and I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I'm going to have to be really careful. I'm going to have to think about the hats that, they, that you all wear. And uh, you know what? I've got to come up with some phrases. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting hat. Um, wow, that's sure unique. There must be a story that goes with that hat. And I've practiced it enough so that when you all show up in these wacky hats that you wear, I'm doing pretty good because I'm consciously competent. I'm thinking about it. But where do you think we want to get to in our character traits of Jesus? Stage four, unconsciously competent. This is the concert pianist who needs no music, never looks at her hands, right? If you have to look at your hands to play the piano, don't be in a concert. <laughs> you, we need unconsciously competent people. We train our soldiers and our firefighters and our basketball players and our singers to be unconsciously competent. We drill them the basics over and over and over again. John Wooden would start his basketball practice, the first one every season, holding a basketball, and he'd say, this is a basketball. He started with the basics every single time because he needed to drill into them. And, and every one of those examples, they'd do it over and over and over again until what? They'd do it without thinking. 
In fact, their bodies are trained to do it. If, you have, if you're a tennis player and you have to think, is this a, a, a forehand shot or a backhand shot? The ball's already passed you, right? You have to do it unconsciously. That is unconscious competence. And don't we want a Savior who is unconsciously competent? Imagine Jesus has uh, the, the parents are bringing the children to Jesus and, the, and his disciples said, no, 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 don't bother him, he's busy. And Jesus goes, yeah, I am. Yeah, man, you should see my calendar. But, uh, you know, we're targeting young adults, we really want them, and uh, they got kids and they probably want me to think, you know, about their kids, so I should be friendly. You know what, guys? It's okay, it's okay, let them come. We don't want a Savior like that. We want a Savior who is not simply consciously, unconsciously competent. We want one who has become love. Who, has, who loves children. They're not does he have to think about it. He would never think to not love. And, hey, 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 keep your kids away. Guys, stop. Of course, let them come. Come on. Hey, come on up here. That's, that's who Jesus is. Thank God, because that's who we want him to be. Who else should be like that? Thank you. Let's be gentle. So I have some next steps for you. Um, pay attention to your sarcasm. Is it conscious or unconscious? By the way, you can thank me later, but I have moved you all from stage one to stage two. You are no longer unconsciously incompetent when it comes to... You are now consciously incompetent. Daggummit, that Naibo, he did it to me again. Now I know I'm sarcastic. i got to work on this. Uh, you're welcome. So um, pay attention. Pay attention to your sarcasm, to your other verbal things. Are you gentle? And, and Google this, conscious, in, uh, conscious competence. It's an amazing tool. It really helps to know where we are. And it's for everything in our life. We, we develop through these stages. Um, and if you're not sarca sarcastic, you're not off the hook. There are other things to work on. So, so thank God that you're not sarcastic and get to work on the other things. And lastly, find someone to do this with. It, it can be your uh, growth group, but find someone that you can share. You say, I'm really working on this. So um, I had two friends at work and they brought a post-it note and they stuck it on my doorpost and they put a check mark on it. They said, we're going to put a check mark here every time you do what you just did because we're tired of it. So they moved me from unconsciously incompetent to consciously incompetent. Well, it didn't take very many checks, you know, for, for me to stop because I had people on me about it. We were working together on it and I really wanted to change. So have others with you. In this, And I, I'll just wrap up with a, a, an example from my life that demonstrates what it's like to be Christians and to be unconsciously incompetent and unconsciously competent. We were at lunch. I was with a couple of friends of mine, Christians, and we were at El Pollo Loco, just local place. And uh, as we were sitting there, um, one of the employees uh, slipped as he was walking by us and as everything went flying and this person immediately jumped out of his chair and, and, and you know, 
caught him and tried to catch the food and all of that. This person laughed at him. And I, I, I said to both of them afterwards, I said, what? You know, I, I asked him about their reaction. This one said, what else was I supposed to do? He, was, he needed help. This person was unconsciously competent. I asked this person about her reaction, uh, and she said, what else was I supposed to do? It was funny. Well, it probably was. And that may or may not have been an appropriate reaction, but I will tell you this, as followers of Jesus, seeking to be gentle, seeking to have the character traits of Jesus, seeking to become people that other people want to be like, that was unconsciously incompetent. We need to grow. Gentleness is a good thing. Let me encourage us. Let's be gentle. 